I will be reading out of the NIV Bible, verses, uh, chapter, Psalm 78, verses 40 to 45. How often they rebelled him in the desert and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day he redeemed them from the oppressor the day he displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zon. He turned their rivers to blood. They could not drink from their streams. He sent swarms of flies that devoured them and frogs that devastated them. Thank you, Teresa. Children ages three through second grade, you're dismissed to children's church. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 to 15 this morning. And it's not a typo in the title. It is not hoppy. It's just a play on words because we're going to be talking about the second plague today of frogs, and they were not happy about these frogs. So... There, just a little play on words for you this morning. <coughs> Steve McVeigh says this, Realize that you can't keep your promises. That may seem like a strange first step toward the goal of keeping promises, but it's true. Consider, the, consider this question. If we could keep our promises, wouldn't we have done it by now? How many times have we made the same promises? Let's face it, rededication to keep promises won't work. If it did, we wouldn't find it necessary to keep rededicating ourselves. Many of us have struggled with promise-keeping for one reason. We have focused on our performance more than on Jesus Christ. We have tried to keep our promises, but the Bible teaches that effective Christian living doesn't come by trying, it comes by trusting Christ to express his life through us. He is the only one who can successfully keep promises. Before we can be effective promise keepers, we must become promise receivers. The Bible is clear about God's promise. The one who has given us his life will be the one who lives it for us. Only Jesus Christ can effectively live the perfect life. He lives inside believers today and wants to reveal his perfect life through us. You know, as a teenager and a young adult, I remember promising the Lord that I would never do certain things again, right? I had given in to the temptation, and I would have limited success with giving in to temptation, but it seems like after a couple of months, I would give in to the temptation again. Once again, I would make a promise to the Lord because the Holy Spirit would convict me of my sin, right? So you shouldn't have done that. I'm like, I know. And so I would rededicate myself again. I would make this promise to the Lord. Accountability was the key to finally getting a handle on the temptations that so easily entangled me. Now, I'm not fully sanctified yet. That'll come into heaven. So that means that, I'm st that I still struggle with temptation from time to time, and I still give in to temptation also. But accountability has lessened the times that I've given in to temptation. I need somebody else to hold me accountable. 
The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, tells us this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see where our focus has to be? It has to be on Jesus. He's the only one that can keep promises, right? We can't do it in our own strength because so often we've focused on our performance rather than Jesus. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever broken a promise to someone else? You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Have you ever broken a promise to God? And perhaps we all need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and fix our eyes on Jesus. Well, as we come to this passage today, Moses and Aaron were instructed to return to Pharaoh and give him another message from the Lord. When he refused to obey the message, another plague came on the Egyptians. This time, Pharaoh recognized that the Lord was the one who had orchestrated the plague. We'll see that in a little bit. So he asked Moses and Aaron to pray to the Lord to remove the plague. He promised that if the Lord would remove the plague, he would let the Israelites offer sacrifices to the Lord. Pharaoh did not keep his promise once the Lord removed the plague. And so what we can learn from this narrative today is our big idea that we need to keep our promises to God. So as you let that sink in this morning, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit it to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you this morning as broken people, Lord. As, as promise breakers, not as promise keepers. And we confess that before you today, Lord. Asking for your forgiveness, asking for your cleansing, Lord God. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to focus upon Jesus instead of our performance so that we might obey you, that we might keep our promises to you. Lord, would you speak through your servant today? Would your people hear your voice? And we commit this message to you now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first point today is proclaim. We see it in verses 1 to 5. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. We see these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. <clears throat> so we see the Lord proclaiming uh, to three people, to Moses, to Pharaoh, and to Aaron, different things. And so as he goes to, uh, to Moses, he says to him, go to Pharaoh. So this is my instruction to you. Uh, Hamilton in his commentary suggests that Moses and Aaron are supposed to go to Pharaoh's home or palace when they uh, are instructed to go to Pharaoh. Now, there's a pattern that's starting to be formed here in these uh, different uh, plagues. And the pattern is how Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh in the three groups of three plagues. 
So we see in the first, second, and third plague, uh, he, he, they do it three different ways, but then those three different ways are repeated uh, in the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and then the seventh, eighth, and ninth, it's repeated again. So we saw last week they went early in the morning with the blood plague, and now uh, in the fourth plague, the flies, they're going to repeat that one. They're going to go early in the morning, and then with the hail, which is the seventh plague, they, it will once again say early in the morning. Now, with the frogs, it just says, go to Pharaoh. And then uh, with the livestock, the, with the fifth plague, it's going to say the same thing. Just go to Pharaoh. And then with the eighth plague, the locust, again, it'll say, go to Pharaoh. And then finally, what we'll see next week, and then with the sixth and the ninth, is that ju God just gives a command. He doesn't even tell them that they have to go to Pharaoh. He just gives the command to either Moses or Aaron to do a certain thing to bring on the plagues. And so that's with the gnats, the boils, and the darkness. And so Moses went to Pharaoh and gave him this message from the Lord. The Lord not only uh, gave Moses instructions, he also gave instructions to Pharaoh that we see here. He says, let my people go. The Lord once again commands Pharaoh to let the Israelites go so they can worship him. This is and will be a repeated command from the Lord to Pharaoh as the plagues progress. <clears throat> Thelma Baddorf shares this little, um, this little illustration. Michelle attempts to teach her children the please and thank you of polite society. She also helps them memorize scripture. One day, her four-year-old son, John, was tussling and wrestling with his mom in a good-natured contest. Losing the battle, he wanted to be released. What's the magic word, encouraged Michelle, ready to comply with his wish. Let my people go, came the reply. So... He was learning, wasn't he? <laughs> Scripture, and maybe she was looking for the word please. But, <laughs> but we, we see then the consequence of refusing. The Nile will teem with frogs. Now, God was once again proving that he was in control of and had power over the Egyptian deities. The goddess Heket was portrayed as a woman with a frog's head and was associated with fertility, childbirth, and new life and growth. So you see her on the right side there in that image this morning. <clears throat> the Egyptians viewed frogs as sacred because of that, and so they would never think of killing them. So this is interesting, right? What's about ready to happen? So the Hebrew word for team can also be translated swarm, and it's the same Hebrew word that was used in, of the Israelites in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, that says this, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly, that's the same Hebrew word for swarmed, and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. So no place was going to be exempt. The palace, the palace bedroom, the palace bed, Pharaoh's bed, his officials' houses, the, the people's houses, even the ovens and the kneading troughs, no place was going to be exempt from this plague. The dwelling places of Pharaoh and his officials would, would have had multiple floors or levels with bedrooms on the upper, upper floors. And so these frogs are going to get all the way up into there. The servants and the other common folk would only have a one-story dwelling or basic shacks. And then beds would have been on the floor and not elevated like our modern beds today. And kneading troughs were probably on the floor since many Egyptians used their feet to knead the dough. Don't let that sink in too much, okay? Don't think about that too much today. <laughs> Stewart in his commentary says this, the frogs would go everywhere without virtually any limitation, including the interior of the palace, mentioned first to be sure Pharaoh knew he would not be immune, 
bedrooms, beds, and cooking utensils mentioned as well to complete the picture of a gross manifestation of all places where humans lived. So this brings us to our first principle today, which is one that I shared last week, so we're not going to develop it any more than that today, but it's that God's wrath is complete and total. There wasn't going to be any uh, area that, or any person or place that would not be affected by the plague of the frogs. And so the Lord also had some instructions for Aaron, as we see here. He turns to Moses and says, tell Aaron to do this, to stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds. Make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And so this seems clear to me that the water of the Nile had been cleared out from the plague of blood because the frogs are coming up from the streams, canals, and ponds, and all the water sources that were above ground had been affected by the blood. And we see that Aaron was obedient to the Lord's command. He did exactly what God asked him to do. And so in verses 6 to 7, we see the plague. Look at those verses with me if you would. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And so God's power caused the frogs to swarm and cover the land. It's not stated again by the author, but we know that the frogs went into Pharaoh's palace and made, it, made their way into uh, the, his bedroom and bed. They went into the houses of Pharaoh's officials and the people of Egypt. They also were found in their ovens and kneading troughs. In fact, they were hopping up on everyone, Pharaoh, official, his officials, and the people. How many of you like, like frog leg sourdough bread? I didn't think so. That's what they were probably having to deal with. They're like, oh no, <laughs> look at that. And while the Egyptians considered frogs sacred, I'm sure they preferred to view them from a distance and not have them hopping on them all the time. Can you imagine that? They're like hopping up on you, and you're ah, kind of screaming a little bit, hearing a bunch of little screams. But the amazing thing is that the magicians were able to imitate the plague of frogs. As I mentioned last week, with the Nile turning to blood, Pharaoh probably was not looking for more of the same plague, but rather to have the plague reversed. And so the magicians were simply adding to the hardship and making it worse instead of better. Hamilton, in his commentary, gives us our second principle today. I quote, God's work can be imitated but never equaled. Have you found that to be true in your life? We can certainly imitate God's love, but we can't equal his love because his love is perfect right? We don't love perfectly all the time. We can imitate God's grace, getting something that we don't deserve, but we cannot equal his grace because his grace has given us salvation, which we don't deserve. We can imitate God's generosity. We can be generous, but we cannot equal his sacrificial giving of Jesus for our sins. We can imitate all of God's attributes, but we cannot equal the impact or scope of his attributes. Can we, have, can we be wise? We certainly can, but God's God's wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. Can, can we be good? Sure, we can be good, but we can't equal God's goodness. Can we be faithful? Sure, but we can't equal God's faithfulness. Can we be merciful? Yeah, but we can't equal God's mercy. Can we share truth? Certainly, but we can't equal God's truth. Can we be just? Yeah but we can't equal God's justice. And the list could go on and on and on. So maybe you're ready to take this first next step today, and that's just to worship the Lord because His, and maybe you just want to fill in that attribute. 
that you have just recognized as unequaled. Maybe it's his holiness. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's his immutability that he's unchanging. So the magicians were able to imitate the plague of frogs, but they were not able to equal the scope and impact of God's plague of frogs because they were everywhere. And now we're not told how long the plague of frogs had been going on when Pharaoh finally said, enough is enough. Go get Moses and Aaron and have them come back here to the palace. I need to talk to them. And so we see him pleading. Pharaoh's pleading with Moses and Aaron as we see in the first part of verse 8. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. And so Pharaoh asked Moses and Aaron to pray to the Lord to take the frogs away. What an incredible change in Pharaoh to actually acknowledge the author of the plague. He recognized that it was the Lord. If you remember when Moses and Aaron first approached Pharaoh, they told him in, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And then we see Pharaoh's response to that in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. The Lord's purpose in bringing the plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians was so they would know him, as we saw in Exodus chapter 7, verse 17. McKay says this, This is a significant climb down for the man who previously had said, I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. He's not, he is now tacitly acknowledging the existence of the Lord, that it was the Lord who had caused the plague of frogs, that he was able to remove the frogs when Egyptians' resources could not, and that it was appropriate for Israel to sacrifice to him. He's, he's coming, isn't he? There's hope for Pharaoh, but he has a long way to go yet. So our third principle today is this, that God is pleased when we recognize that he is in control. Where are you at today? What slimy situation keeps hopping up on you and getting you and getting into every area of your life? Is it an addiction? Does it have to do with finances? Is it oppression from Satan, some spiritual battle that you're going through? Is it related to your job or a relationship that's causing issues? Are you struggling emotionally with anxiety, depression, loneliness, or sadness? Are you wondering what God's doing in a certain situation, but it seems like he's not answering or speaking? Have you recognized that God is in control of that situation? Have you placed that burden at the foot of the cross seeking Jesus' help? Maybe you're ready to take this second next step today, and that's to recognize that God is in control of what is it? And then cry out to him for help. Pharaoh sought the Lord's help with the slimy frogs that were everywhere, and he promised to do something in return. We see that in the second half of verse 8. We see the promise. He says this, And I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so he makes this promise. He promised that he would let, uh, if, if the Lord would remove the frogs, he would let the Israelites go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And as we'll see in verse 15, it seems like Pharaoh made this promise lightly. He didn't really mean it. And, you know, we have to be careful not to make promises to the Lord that we do not intend to keep. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 to 5, we read these words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow 
It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Matthew, the gospel writer, says this in chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. James kind of reiterates this in chapter 5, verse 12, when he says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. And so the question for us today is, is there a promise you have made to the Lord that you need to fulfill? That takes us back to our big idea that we need to keep our promises to God. Pharaoh promised to let the Israelites go so they could worship the Lord if the Lord would remove the plague of frogs. And so we see a proposal that Moses gives uh, to Pharaoh in verses 9 to 11. Look at those verses with me if you would. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials, and your people, and they will remain only in the Nile. So Moses allowed Pharaoh to choose the time for him to pray and ask the Lord to remove the plague of frogs from him, his officials, the people, and their houses. Stuart in his commentary says this, giving the Egyptian king this power of timing is from a human point of view apologetically brilliant on God's part. If the king could say when the frogs would go away, he would personally know that the timing was not due to the simple consequences of natural processes or a fiat of the gods of the Egyptians, but the sovereignty of the God of Israel. He's like, you choose the time, and it's going to happen in that time. And so the prayer to remove the frogs would not include those still living in the Nile. It would, it would not be a prayer to remove all frogs from Egypt. Thank goodness, because imagine the bug problem they would have without all those frogs, right? We're going to see about gnats and flies in the coming weeks. Whew! What if those frogs weren't there? We see Pharaoh's choice. He's like, take them away right now. No, right? He says, tomorrow, just do it, pray tomorrow. Why didn't Pharaoh ask for immediate relief? Now, keep in mind, we don't have any time stamps here to know when this is taking place. We're not told when Moses and Aaron were summoned to Pharaoh's court. It could have been in the evening, so it wouldn't have made any sense. Uh, Maybe Pharaoh is hoping that the frogs would leave uh, of their own accord and he would not have to keep his promise to let the Israelites go. So he's like, I need a little bit of time. Maybe this will just happen on its own. Or he could also have been building anticipation by letting the word spread that the frogs were going to be leaving the next day. And if they didn't, then he would be able to say, see, this, this God of the Israelites, Jehovah and his servants, they don't have any credibility. So we don't know why Pharaoh chose that, but he chose a time other than immediately. And so Moses replied to Pharaoh's choice. Moses told him that it would happen just as Pharaoh said, so he would know there was no one like the Lord our God. Wow. So Moses told him that it would happen, and the frogs would leave the houses of Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. 
They would no longer uh, be hopping up on Pharaoh and his officials or his people. The only frogs left would be those living in the Nile that had not invaded the rest of the land. And so Moses did what he promised to do. He kept his promise to Pharaoh. And the next day he prayed. You know, we need to keep our promises to God also. But we see Pharaoh, or we see Moses' prayer in verses 12 to 14. Look at those verses with me if you would. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the, uh, the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. Wow. So Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs. Moses um, and now Pharaoh knew who to petition about their problem. We get our fourth principle today from Martin's commentary, and he just says, God uses the prayers of his faithful servants. You know, we see the power of prayer when the Lord's servant prays according to his will. Psalm chapter 4, verse 1 tells us this, Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16 says this, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Have you experienced this in your own life? Who has prayed for you in the past and you've seen God answer that prayer? What did you experience? Did you experience relief from distress or trouble? Did you experience healing and or forgiveness of sins through the power of prayer? Is there something that you need prayer for today? That takes us to our third next step, and that's to ask for prayer for. What is it? But I don't want you to just write it down today. I want you to take the bold next step of coming forward this morning so that we can pray for you. We're going to return to the message when we're done with that time. I want to ask our board members, our lay ministers, and their spouses to join me at the front of the sanctuary to just help in praying for those who come. Our leadership is here to pray a prayer of faith over you for the relief from distress or any trouble that you're facing for healing or forgiveness of sin. We have anointing oil available for those who are seeking healing from sickness and the prayer of leadership over you. I'm going to ask Logan just to come and pray, play quietly. And as he begins to play and as the leadership come, would you come wow leadership? I want to invite you to just come for prayer now. We know that Moses knew he could cry out to the Lord for help. So that's exactly what he did. And we see that the Lord responded. The Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And this is probably not how Pharaoh and the Egyptians thought the Lord would get rid of the frogs. <clears throat> right? He thought, oh, well, they're just going to go back where they came from. They were probably hoping the frogs would just hop on back to the Nile. But that's not what they did. They died right where they were. 
You know, I found that specific prayers are better than general prayers. I used to pray asking God to let me see deer when I'd be deer hunting, and he did. He answered that prayer every time. But they were never close enough in bow season or the right gender or sex in rifle season. Never were, yep. And so now I pray specifically asking God to let me get a deer, and the past couple of years his answer has been no. So you have to be ready for that answer too, by the way. So if you're going to pray specifically, you've got you to be ready for the no or the wait. <clears throat> so in, instead, the Egyptians had to collect all of those dead frogs and pile them up into heaps. I'm sure they didn't feel good about Pharaoh at this point, right? They were being reminded as they were heaping, the, heaping these frogs up. I want us to understand that sin is messy and it requires cleanup. And sin also reeks. It just stinks. And so the Lord kept his promise to Moses and Pharaoh, and he ended the plague of frogs. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he pulled out of his promise to the Lord and the Israelites. That's our final point this morning. Look at verse 15. He says this, But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, but just as the Lord had said. So the Lord told him this was going to happen. So Moses and and Aaron weren't surprised when this happened. Pharaoh did exactly what the Lord had said he would do. He hardened his heart and would not follow through with his promise. Sadhu Sundar Singh writes in Wisdom of the Sadhu. Listen to what he says. This is um, hard. It's hard to hear. Once when I was... In the Himalayas, I was sitting upon the bank of a river. I drew out of the water a beautiful round stone and smashed it. The inside was dry. The stone had been lying a long time in the water, but the water had not penetrated the stone. It is just like that with the quote-unquote Christian people of the West. They have for centuries been surrounded by Christianity, entirely steeped in its blessings, but the Master's truth has not penetrated them. Christianity is not at fault. The reason lies rather in the hardness of their hearts. Materialism and intellectualism have made their hearts hard. So I'm not surprised that many people in the West do not understand what Christianity really is. Does that hurt today? Perhaps it should. Has the the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrated your hard heart? Has he made your heart malleable, soft, to the calling of Jesus. Our fifth principle today is this. God's desire is that we repent and not just seek his deliverance. You see, that's what, Mo, or that's what Pharaoh did. He didn't really repent. He just wanted relief. He wanted to be delivered from these frogs. Pharaoh's promise was not genuine because he just wanted the frogs gone. His pleading was pointless. When the frogs were gone, Pharaoh's true intentions were revealed. And the same can be said of us. Warren Wearsby says this, Many sinners aren't interested in repenting and receiving God's grace. They want only to be delivered from God's judgment. How many times have we pleaded with God to deliver us from distress, trouble, sickness, or sin uh, when, uh, when we are facing the consequences of our own actions? <coughs> We make promises that we have no intention of keeping once relief comes, right? Maybe 
you've told God some of these things. I'll go to church every week. I'll read the Bible every day. I'll pray before every meal. I'll help a family member, friend, or neighbor whenever they ask. I'll stop going to the nightclub. I won't hang out with those people anymore. I won't drink alcohol ever again. I won't smoke marijuana again. I won't pop those pills anymore. I won't look at pornography. I won't get angry while driving or speed again. And the list of promises we make to God just goes on and on and on, right? They're just never-ending because we just want Him to deliver us from the situation that we're going through. We don't really want His grace. True repentance is a 180-degree turn from the wrong we're doing to the right we should be doing. And it's, that's easier said than done. Paul struggled with it. <clears throat> and he's, as he's writing to the Roman believers, uh, in chapter 7, beginning at verse 15, we see the struggle that Paul's going through. He says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I, do not, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my... Uh, yeah, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one that gives us victory, right? Paul, writing again to the Roman believers, he says this, <clears throat> What then shall we uh, sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to somebody to obey him, um, as slaves you are slaves to the one whom you obey, uh, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. So if you've been seeking deliverance and not repentance, I want to tell you that it's time to accept the crucifixion of your old self through the blood of Jesus. It's time. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life as a ransom for you on the cross. He died in your place, taking your punishment for sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says this, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We have to stop this selfish living. We need to live for Jesus. 
And Paul, writing to the Ephesian believers, says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so maybe you're ready to take this last next step today, and that's to repent of my sins and allow Christ to live in me. Make that decision today. Trust Him. Trust Him. That sin that you struggle with all the time, it's dead. You don't have to, to live in that realm anymore. That sin is dead. It has no life. It can't affect you anymore. You have Christ living in you. As we just review this morning, do you need to worship the Lord because His attributes are unequaled? And which one do you want to Worship Him for. Do you need to recognize that God's in control of your situation right now and cry out to Him for help? Do you need to ask for prayer from the leadership or a friend? Do you need to repent of your sins and allow Christ to live in you? You know, as a body of believers, we can worship the Lord because His attributes are unequaled. We do that in the, as we go through worship-based prayer. We're reverencing God. We need to recognize that God is in control of our situation and cry out to Him for help. And we can ask for prayer for the situations that we're facing. Spurgeon said this as I close this morning. How many a hardened rebel on shipboard when the timbers are strained and creaking, when the mast is broken and the ship is drifting before the gale, when the hungry waves are opening their mouths to swallow the ship up alive and quick as those that go into the pit. How many a hardened sailor has then bowed his knee with tears in his eyes and cried, I have sinned! But of what avail and of what value was his confession? The repentance of his that was begotten amidst the thunder and the lightning ceased so soon as all was hushed and quiet, and the man who was a pious mariner when on board ship became the most wicked and abominable of sailors when he placed his foot on terra firma. It's the same thing we were talking about this morning. These sailors are making promises as they're being uh, beaten up by the, the gales, right? By the, the sea. And they're making all these promises to God. I've sinned. I'm so sorry. Save me. And then as soon as their foot touches the earth, you know, terra firma, back on, on land again, they just keep on going and living their lives the way that they used to. Their confession didn't mean a thing. So we need to be careful about the promises that we make to the Lord. We need to make sure that we fulfill them immediately. We shouldn't be making vows just flippantly. That's what Pharaoh did, and he suffered the consequences of it, as we're going to see in the remaining plagues. So as the worship team comes this morning, as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings, would you just bow your heads with me today? Lord, we come to you. And once again, we just confess before you that we have made promises to you that we've not kept. And Lord, we're suffering the consequences of that. So Lord, help us to be quick, to be obedient, and to fulfill those promises today. We just commit ourselves to you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.